Hello and welcome to the Biome Podcast. My name is Graham and I am your host. Just some housekeeping before we get into the episode. We changed web host recently, so the new site should be up and running. Feel free to check it out and let us know what you think. We've put a lot of work into making the site easier to navigate and better looking. We're also working on adding more content to the site, so if there's anything you want to add, it, let us know and we will look into the possibility. The store is currently down for the moment as it's being rebuilt to match the new site. But if you want to support the Biomedia project, you can still donate or sign up for our membership at the links on the site. We have managed to move the membership section to the site um, from our previous host, which was uh, Buy Me A Coffee, I guess. So we've managed to move that to our site. So everything is now housed on the site. You can access it at biomedia.org. The membership costs $5 US a month and gives you awesome perks. You get to see new activities and new content before they're released to the public. And you also have access to listen to the new podcast episodes being recorded and can interact live on the recording, um, asking questions. And there will be chats afterwards where we can discuss what we spoke about in the recordings. While we're working on uh, with that, we're also working on getting QA with experts as well as having different contests. While half of your membership fee goes towards keeping the lights on here at Biomedia, the other half goes towards saving species on the brink of extinction. So head on over to biomedia.org or thebiompodcast.com and sign up for a membership to help the natural world through education and the species directly. Also, if you think you're knowledgeable, head on over to the site where we have some currently three quizzes one about mammals one about birds and one about reptiles we release new quizzes weekly so keep an eye out for new ones if you think you are so knowledgeable knowledgeable in any of those topics though try out our quiz and post your results don't forget to tag us though if you do as we love seeing your results just head on over to the site and click activities in the menu for now though let's jump into the animal spotlight section Welcome to the animal spotlight section of the episode. In this section, we look at a species and dive into its life history, its unique adaptations. And today we're going to be doing the lion. In the vast tapestry of Earth's creatures, few inspire as much awe and admiration as the lion. The lion's uh, Latin name is Panthera leo. And traversing the plains of Africa and the secluded forests of India, these magnificent beasts carry an aura both regal and wild. Steeped in cultural significance, their majestic manes and resonant roars have etched lines in the annals of human history. Yet, it isn't merely their structure or stature or strength that commands our attention, but also their intricate life history, unique adaptations and the surprising tales that nature has woven around them. As we embark on this journey, we'll delve into the world of lions, a world where survival meets majesty and nature unfurls its grand narrative. Across the sprawling expanse of the African continent, the savannah stands out with its iconic golden hues, punctuated by a sporadic shade of acacia trees. It is here that the lion, often dubbed the king of the jungle, truly reigns. Amidst the undulating grasslands, this majestic creature 
prowls, its golden coat blending seamlessly with the sun-scorched grass. Whether they're stalking an unsuspecting antelope, nurturing their young under the sparse shade, or simply basking in the shimmering heat, lions have become synonymous with these vast plains. However, their dominion extends beyond Africa. Venturing into the dense underbrush of Asia, one discovers another chapter in the lion's tale. The Gur forests of India, a green oasis amidst the subcontinent's dry terrains, houses the Asiatic lion. Now, this subspecies, though fewer in number, carries with it a distinct lineage and legacy. Their manes, slightly less pronounced than their African counterparts, whisper tales of ancient forests and a time when lions roamed expanses far beyond the territories we associate them with today. Both these habitats, as diverse as they are, share a common thread. They are arenas in where the lion's daily drama unfolds, where Every sunrise brings stories of survival, kingship, and the relentless rhythm of the wild. In the dappled shade of a secluded thicket, a, the soft muse of lion cubs pierce the stillness. These tiny, vulnerable creatures, born blind and utterly dependent, are the future kings and queens of the savannah. For the first few weeks they remain hidden, shielded from the prying eyes of predators, as well as their own pride. Their world is a cocoon of warmth provided by their mother's body, their sustenance drawn from her milk. As weeks turn into months, playful antics begin to emerge. Their eyes now open, they venture out. Their wobbly steps soon become in confident strides. The pride plays an integral part in their upbringing. Now, while their mother teaches them the nuances of being a predator, from stalking grasshoppers to understanding the importance of the wind's direction, their aunts and siblings partake in their play fights, instilling lessons of strength and hierarchy. With the onset of adolescence, more challenges arise. Young males, with manes just beginning to sprout, face the daunting task of leaving their birth pride. Driven by instinct and competition, they embark on nomadic journeys, sometimes forming coalitions with brothers or other young males, their objective is clear to one day challenge and overthrow an existing pride leader and claim the pride as their own. This rite of passage is fraught with danger, but it's essential in ensuring their genetic diversity and vitality within pride. Females, on the other hand, typically remain with their birth pride. Their journey involves mastering the art of the hunt and eventually nurturing the next generation. By the time they reach full maturity, these lionesses are the backbone of the pride, ensuring their survival through teamwork and sheer determination. The full circle of life is palpable in the lion's world, from the fragile first days of the cub to the dominant roar of the adult asserting its territory. Each phase of growth and development is a testament to nature's intricate design and the enduring spirit of one of its most iconic creatures. But don't let that brief overview fool you. The journey from playful cub to formidable adult uh, of the king of the jungle is one riddled with challenges for the young lion. The savannah, though majestic, is an unforgiving realm, demanding both resilience and adaptability. While lions sit atop the food chain as apex predators, their young are vulnerable to a variety of threats. Hyenas, known for their cunning and opportunism, 
will not hesitate to attack an unprotected cub. Leopards, despite being solitary and often smaller, can pose significant threats to the young lion cubs if the opportunity presents itself. Even crocodiles lurking in waterholes and rivers where lions drink can snatch an unsuspecting cub or even a young adult. And if the time is right, a adult itself. One of the darker aspects of lion society is the act of infanticide though. When a new male or coalition of males take over a pride, they often kill the existing cubs. This grim strategy serves a dual purpose. It brings the lionesses back into estrus faster, so w back into being able to breed faster, allowing the new males to sire offspring, and it ensures that the pride's resources aren't spent on raising another male's progeny. But that's not all. The harsh realities of the wild mean that food is not always guaranteed. During periods of scarcity, when large prey is elusive, the pride might struggle to feed all of its members. Young lions, still mastering the art of the hunt, are especially vulnerable during these times. Additionally, diseases such as feline immunodeficiency virus, or FIV, or the spread of canine distemper can weaken and even claim the lives of young members of the pride. Those are for the extremely young, but as they get older for the young males, the adolescent phase can be a tr particularly treacherous. As they grow, the dominant males of the pride begin to view them as threats. These young males are then often forced out, facing a life of exile. This nomadic existence is fraught with dangers. Without the protection of the pride, more, they're more exposed to other territorial lions, human wildlife conflicts, and periods of food scarcity. This touches on the human encroachment. The expanding human footprint poses a unique set of challenges. Young lions, curious and still learning their boundaries, might wander into human-populated areas, leading to conflicts. These encounters can result in retaliatory actions from the humans or the young lions getting trapped in areas unfamiliar to them. Now, Each hurdle, from natural predators to the encroachment of civilization, tests the mettle of the young lion. Those that successfully navigate these challenges emerge stronger, wiser and ready to play their role in the intricate tapestry of the African plains. In the realm of big cats though, lions do stand apart. Not for their maj majestic manes or their thundering roars alone, yes those too, but for their intricate social dance. While most large felines lead lives of solitary stealth, lions thrive in the collective their lives woven into a tapestry of relationships, hierarchies, and roles within the pride. Found at the heart of this social structure is the pride, a dynamic group often comprising of related females, their offspring, and a coalition of males. Females are the sinew holding the pride together, and they often stay with their birth pride for life. They form its hunting backbone, collaborating in strategic hunts that leverage their numbers and skills to bring down prey, from nimble impalas to formidable buffaloes. Males, on the other hand, move a, have a more transient uh, relationship with the pride. Born into one pride, they're eventually expelled to leave, or compelled to leave rather, expelled from the pride and compelled to leave, wandering the wilds, sometimes in the company of brothers or other exiled males forming coalitions. 
These groups serve dual purposes. They provide safety in numbers from uh, one male coalition or from other male coalitions, and they increase the chances of taking over a pride. Once successful, a male or coalition will establish dominance, ensuring their genes carry forward. However, their reign is often brief, lasting only as long as they can fend off challenges from younger, more robust males. Then there's the young lions. We've spoken about this, but be they playful cubs or rebellious adolescents, they play their part in the social dynamic. Under the watchful eye of their mothers and their aunts, they learn the ropes of pride life, from playful tussles that hone hunting skills to understanding their place in the intricate hierarchy. The bonds within the pride are palpable. Lionesses, often sisters or extended family, share a kinship that transcends mere survival. They nurse each other's cubs, groom one another, and come together in a unified front when threat looms. Males, though often portrayed as aloof, have their moments of tenderness, especially within male coalitions, where brothers or close allies reinforce their bonds through mutual grooming and vocalizations. But not all lions fit neatly into the pride structure. Nomadic males, either between pride takeovers or having never secured a pride of their own, roam the plains and woodlands. These lions lead a more solitary, often perilous existence, always on the move, avoiding established pride territories and seeking opportunities where they may arise. In this communal existence, every roar, every purr and every gesture plays into the grand opera of lion's life. The pride often not just strengthen, uh, the pride offers not just strength in numbers, but a complex, emotionally charged environment where each lion, regardless of age or status, plays a pivotal role in the ongoing saga of the savannah. In the vast theatre of the wild, few tales are as poignant as the life cycle of a lion. From the first breaths of the mewling cub to the weary signs of the aging king, the passage of time paints a story of strength, survival, and the inevitable march towards life's dusk. The journey begins with the vulnerable days of childhood, where, or cubhood rather, where every rustle of grass holds potential danger. In these early months, though fraught with challenges, they are filled with discovery and play. As adolescents approach, the young lions undergo significant physical and behavioral changes. Their bodies grow rapidly, their manes start to show, and the instincts that will determine their role in lion society begin to sharpen. By the time the lion reaches its prime, anywhere between uh, five to eight years for males and a bit earlier for females, they're at the peak of their physical prowess. Males, if they've managed to secure a pride, will be busy ensuring their dominance, siring cubs, and fending off rival coalitions. Lionesses, meanwhile, are central to the pride's sustenance, working in unison to hunt and rear the next generation. As the years roll on, signs of aging become evident. By the ages of 10 or 12 years, a lion is considered elderly in wild standards. Their once lustrous manes may thin, teeth may wear down, and scars of countless battles and hunts begin to take their toll. Hunting becomes more challenging and for males holding onto a pride against younger challenges becomes nearly impossible. It is during this time that many lions, stripped of their pride affiliations, venture into a nomadic existence. 
These twilight years, though solemn, are also a testament to a lion's resilience and the countless trials it has surmounted. In the wild, a lion's lifespan typically ranges between 10 to 14 years. However, a myriad of factors from environmental challenges, injuries, or scarcity of food can impact this. In captivity though, shielded from the relentless demands of the wild, lions can live up to 20 years. But this extended life doesn't necessarily capture the essence of their wild counterparts, the raw dance of nature and the trials and triumphs that they go through. In the cyclical ballet of the savannah, the lion's life arc is a poignant reminder of nature's rhythms. Every phase from the playfulness of youth to the reflective calm of older age is a chapter in the grand narrative of the wild, a testament to the circle of life that governs all. In the vast tapestry of adaptation and evolution, it is replete with masterpieces. The lion stands as one of the most awe-inspiring works. Every sinew, every tuft of fur, and each amber-hued eye has been shaped by millennia of adaptation, fine-tuning this regal beast for the rigors of the environment. The lion's mane, for example, is a cascade of thick fur encircling the male's head. It is more than just a symbol of majesty. This adaptation serves multiple purposes. It provides a semblance of protection during fierce battles with rival males, cushioning the vulnerable neck region. Its fullness and color also indicate a lion's age and health, serving as a visual signal to potential mates and adversaries. The lion's body is the epitome of strength and agility. Muscular shoulders and powerful limbs allow them to sprint at speeds of up to 50 miles an hour, so just shy of 100 kilometers an hour, in short bursts, perfect for ambushing prey. Their retractable claws, sharp and potent, are tools of precision, ideal for gripping and bringing down their quarry. Coupled with a jaw designed for crushing for a crushing grip, these adaptations make the lion an apex predator, equipped to take on animals several, several times larger than its size. Now, the faintly luminescent spots lining the lion's muzzle, which are known as whisker spots, also aren't just decorative. They serve as tactile sensors, aiding lions during close encounters with prey or when navigating the nocturnal world. Complementing this, their large reflective eyes are adapted for night vision, capturing even the faintest of lights and turning twilight hours into prime hunting time. Another adaptation is the golden hue of the lion's coat, as it's no accident. This coloration allows them to blend seamlessly into the grassland, making them nearly invisible to their prey. It's this stealth, aided by their tawny coats, that grants lions the elements of surprise, a crucial advantage in the hunt. The dark tufts at the end of the lion's tail, as well, isn't merely decorative. During hunts, it acts as a signaling device, helping lionesses coordinate their movements without vocalizing. The silent communication, aided by their tails, is key to the, their collaborative hunting strategy. Now, while a lion's physical form is undeniably a marvel, its behavioral repertoire, a ballet of instincts, learning tactics, and social intricacies, is where it, we truly discern the depth of its adaptations to the African plains. Lions are one of the few cat species that hunt cooperatively, a strategy refined by millennia of adaptations and evolution. 
Lionesses, the primary hunter of the pride, coordinate their efforts, often forming a semicircular ambush with some members driving the prey towards the others lying in wait. Now, this intricate dance requires not just strength, but impeccable timing and communication, leveraging their numbers for success. The lion's roar, a symphony of power echoing across the plains, serves more than just a display of might. Males use it to mark their territories, warning rivals of their presence, and these vocal boundaries, often reinforced by scent marking, play a pivotal role in reducing physical confrontations and ensuring the pride's control over its domain. Lions have also adapted intricate social behaviors within the pride, from grooming one another to strengthening um, or to strengthen social bonds, to the ritual infanticide by new male coalitions to ensure their lineage. Each behavior, though sometimes brutal, is a strategic adaptation ensuring the pride's continuity. Lions are predominantly crepuscular, most active during the early morning hours and late afternoons. This behavior is, again, another dual adaptation, allowing them to hunt during cooler temperatures and take advantage of the reduced visibility of dawn and dusk. Their nighttime proclivities are aided by their exceptional night vision, turning the Shroud of Darkness into an ally. And while lions have a preference for large ungulates, they are opportunistic predators. These behavioral flexibilities mean they can switch to smaller prey like birds, reptiles, or even fish when larger prey is scarce. Such adaptability ensures their survival during lean times. The maternal instincts and behaviors of lionesses are paramount for the survival of the next generation. From selecting hidden den sites to giving birth to the communal rearing of cubs by related lionesses. All of these behaviors ensure the cubs have the best shot at reaching adulthood. In the vast unpredictable stage of the African savannah, where every day is a dance of survival, the lion's behavioral adaptations are, as, are its choreography. These instincts and learned strategies passed down through generations ensure the lion's reign as the savannah's iconic monarch continues undiminished. Now the African plains with their sprawling horizons and rhythmic dance of life and death often sculpted one or have sculpted one of the most iconic inhabitants, the lion. This creature, though inherently powerful, owes much of its success to the subtler ways in which it has woven itself into the very fabric of its surroundings. We've looked at the lion's physical adaptations and behavioral adaptations. Let's have a look at its environmental adaptations. At first glance, the lion's tawny coat may seem just a hue, but it's a strategic blend with the sun-drenched grasslands. This coloration, a gift of camouflage, allows them to stalk their prey, often undetected, until they're close enough to strike. The environment and the lion have, in essence, collaborated on its stealthy design. The African plains can also be merciless in their heat, yet the lion, through um, genius, adaptational genius, have developed a body adept at conserving water. Their concentrated urine and minimal sweat ensures hydration retention. Additionally, their tendency to rest during the hottest parts of the day, seeking shade or the coolness of a den, is both a behavioral and environmental adaptation to the savannah's challenges. 
The lion has been a pivotal partner in the dance of evolution. Over time, prey species on the plains have evolved heightened senses, agility, and even herd behaviors in response to the lion's predatory prowess. In turn, the lion has fine-tuned its hunting techniques, using the environment to its advantage, like utilizing the cover of night or terrain contours for ambushes. Waterholes are a place of opportunity. In regions where water is scarce, waterholes become hubs of activity. Lions have adapted to this environmental feature by often seeking out these sites, turning them into prime hunting grounds, as prey species inevitably have to approach for to be able to drink. The environment provides lionesses as well with natural nurseries. They choose secluded spots, often dense thickets or hidden caves as birthing and initial rearing sites for cubs. The cubs will be in these places for about eight weeks before being introduced to the rest of the pride. But these natural shelters offer protection from potential predators and the harshness of the elements. The vast mosaic of the savannah isn't just a realm to, free, to roam freely. Lions have adapted to recognize and respect territorial boundaries. They are natural landmarks, such as rivers or rock formations, and they're coupled with scent marking to delineate their domains. Such environmental cues minimize direct confrontation as roaring and lions announce their presence and stake their claims. In this harmonious um, ballet with the environment, the lion emerges not just as a product of the savannah, but as an artist shaping it. Every whisper of the grass, every shadow cast by the acacia tree plays a part in the lion's environmental adaptation, solidifying its title as one of Africa's most iconic inhabitants. Across the midst of time and the expansive civilizations, one figure has consistently emerged from the stories we tell. The symbols we craft and the values we hold dear as humans, and that is the lion. These majestic beats beasts revered and celebrated have intertwined with humanity's cultural fabric and they've become an emblem of virtues tales and aspirations the lion's visage has graced numerous emblems and symbols throughout antiquity from the lion's gate of mycenae in ancient greece to the powerful figures carved on assyrian palace reliefs the lion has been a symbol of strength authority and protection its image has been minted on coins, etched on seals, and sculpted in grand statues, echoing its revered status. Aesop's fables, or ancient Egyptian legends, and even biblical tales, have featured the lion, often attributing to its characteristics of nobility, wisdom, and sometimes the folly of pride. The story of the lion and the mouse, for example, speaks of humility and the idea that no act of kindness is ever wasted. The lion has also found a place amongst the stars. The zodiac sign Leo, symbolized by the lion, is often associated with traits of bravery, leadership, and warmth. Constellations and their myths, especially in Greek or Roman traditions, have immortalized the lion in the night sky. Throughout the Renaissance and beyond, artists and writers have cap been captivated by the lion, whether in the form of sculptures like the Medici lions or in literature, literary works like C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia, 
where the lion Aslan stands as a symbol of righteousness and sacrifice. The lion's influence is pervasive. The lion's dance, integral to Chinese New Year celebrations, showcases the lion as a harbinger of luck and power. With its vibrant colors and rhythmic movements, this tradition is a testament to the lion's significance, even in regions where it doesn't naturally roam. The lion continues to be a popular choice as a mascot or emblem. From sports teams to brands, its image evokes power, majesty, and leadership, qualities that many institutions wish to associate with. In the vast anthology of human culture, the lion stands out as a recurring character, symbol, and aspiration or inspiration. Its image and what it represents have transcended geographical boundaries and historical epochs. Through tales told by campfires, on the canvas of great artists, and in the symbols that represent nations, the lion has been and continues to be a shared emblem of humanity's collective imagination. While the lion's roar, its majestic mane, and its prowess in hunting are well documented, there are nuances to its behavior subtle yet enthralling that lend even richer dimension to our understanding of the fabled feline. Beyond their iconic roars, lions have a fascinating method of communication using infrasounds. They're low frequency sounds below the range of human hearing. These subtle rumbles carrying over long distances allow lions to communicate with pride members without alerting potential prey or uh, rival prides. While the image of a male lion leading its pride is dominant, many male lions live in con- live a contrasting life. Young males, after being ousted from their birth pride, uh, often become nomads, wandering the wilds alone or with a band of fellow ousted brothers. This transient lifestyle, full of challenges, is a crucial phase before they contest and take over a pride of their own. On occasion, one might observe a lion curling back its upper lip, exposing its teeth and inhaling deeply, especially after sniffing a spot. Known as a flame in response, this behavior allows them to detect pheromones, playing a vital role in understanding reproductive status and territorial markings. Lions generally do not or are not known for their arboreal habits. However, in certain regions like Uganda's Ishasha sector, Lions have developed a unique behavior of climbing trees. Whether to escape the heat, avoid ground-level pests, or get a vantage point of hunt- for hunting, these tree-climbing lions defy the typical image of their ground-dwelling cousins. Lions, especially cubs, display a delightful degree of playfulness. These playful bouts, while endearing to observe, serve a crucial purpose. They help cubs hone their hunting skills. They develop muscle strength and reinforce social bonds, ensuring their integration into pride life. Social grooming or allo grooming is another. It's a frequent activity amongst pride members. It is more than just cleaning routine. This act strengthens social ties, establishes hierarchy, and even acts as a form of relaxation when when a lion grooms another. It's an act of intimacy and trust. The lion, already an emblem of wonder in the natural world, becomes even more intriguing when one delves into these lesser-known behaviors. Each subtlety, each unique act, adds a layer to our understanding of this majestic creature, reminding us that nature is replete with surprises, 
waiting for those who observe keenly. Amid the vast African plains, the lion's story is interwoven with a myriad of other species. These interactions, a blend of harmony, rivalry, symbiosis, and predation, paint a vivid tableau of life's intricate dance. At the top of the food chain, lions are pre predominantly hunt large ungulates like zebras, um, wildebeest, and antelopes. These relentless chases, a testament to both the predator's skill and the prey's desperate bid for survival, are a defining spectacle of the African wilderness. But while lions reign supreme, they are not without competition. Hyenas and lions share a storied rivalry, often clashing over kills and territories. Both species will likely kill the other if they find them without protection. But these encounters mark, marked by vocal displays, tactical ambushes and sometimes physical confrontations epitomize the struggle for dominance on the savannah. Not always the hunter, lions are also known to scavenge, capitalizing on the kills of other predators such as cheetahs and leopards. These smaller predators, recognizing the power disparity, often cede their hard-won meals to the imposing lions, highlighting the lion's opportunistic nature. Elephants and buffalo, while not regular prey, well buffalo sometimes are, more so than elephants, um, share a dynamic relationship with lions, especially protective mothers might confront lions to protect their calves, leading to tense standoffs. These interactions underlie the delicate balance between risk and reward in the wild. Amidst the competition, there's also room for mutualism. Birds like the oxpecker might be seen on a lion flicking its tail and other, uh, feeding on ticks and its other parasites. This relationship showcases nature's ability to craft bonds of benefit between the most unlikely of allies. But in the vastness of the savannah, even the smallest interactions matter. Creatures like the dung beetle play a role in cleaning up after a lion's kill, while various insects might benefit from the moisture around the watering hole that a lion's watering hole. Through the lens of this relationship, the lion emerges not just as an isolated monarch, but as a pivotal player in the grand interconnected saga. Every raw, chase, and restful moment under the shade of a acacia tree ripples through the ecosystem, influencing and being influenced by a myriad of life forms that call the savannah home. The lion has stood as a symbol of unbridled strength and majesty. A new narrative is unfolding. As the hands of time move forward, accompanied by the ceaseless march of human progress, the lion's dominion faces threats both overt and insidious. The human as humanity's quest for expansion continues, forests are felled and grasslands are ploughed, leading to a diminishing realm for the lion. With the conversion of wild landscapes into farmland, settlements and infrastructure, the canvas of the lion's territory shrinks, leading to fragmented habitats that challenge their traditional way of life. As the borders between the wild and human territories blur, encounters become inevitable. Lions, in their quest for prey, might target livestock, leading to retaliatory actions from local communities. These confrontations, often fatal for the lion, are a tra tragic outcome of, of their dwindling natural prey base and the encroachment of their habitats. The lion, with its regal mane and imposing stature, 
has sadly also become the target of illegal hunting. Whether driven by the allure of its body parts for traditional medicines or the desire for a trophy, this illicit trade casts a dark shadow on the lion's future. And with these shrinking habitats and increased proximity to the domesticated animals, lions face a heightened risk of disease. Canine distemper and feline immunodeficiency virus are just a few of the ailments that have been devastating on lion populations in certain regions. And while human-induced threats are significant, natural challenges still persist. Increased competition from other predators, particularly in fragmented habitats, put additional stress on the lion's survival. In this unfolding drama, the lion, once the unchallenged sovereign of the African plains, now finds itself grappling with challenges on multiple fronts. The intricate tapestry of its existence is fraying at the edges, and the threads that bind it to the savannah are becoming increasingly tenuous. The lion's, in the intricate ballet of nature where the lion's presence is both awe-inspiring and vital, there emerges a counter-narrative to the tales of the decline, one of redemption, responsibility and reverence. Across the African continent, national parks and wildlife reserves have been designated as sanctuaries for lions and their prey. These protected regions such as the Serengeti in Tanzania or the Masai Mara in Kenya or the Kruger National Park in South Africa act as bastions against habitat loss, ensuring a space where lions can roam free and wild. Recognizing that the key to long-term conservation lies in the hands of local communities, several initiatives aim to involve them directly. By turning lions from a perceived threat into an asset, through ecotourism for example, communities become active stakeholders in the lion's survival. Brave men and women, the guardians of the wild, form anti-poaching units that tirelessly work to protect lions from illegal hunting. With improved training, technology and intelligence networks, these units have become formidable adversaries to poachers. Conservationists understand that maintaining genetic diversity is crucial for the lion's long-term survival. Efforts like, efforts like relocating lions to create or bolster existing populations can help prevent inbreeding and ensure a healthier, more resilient population. Changing perception though and fostering a love for lions starts with education. Numerous programs, both within Africa and globally, aim to educate people about lions, their importance in the ecosystem and the challenges they face. At government and international levels, policymaking and advocacy play pivotal roles implementing strict regulations against trophy hunting, enhancing the legal framework against poaching, and fostering international collaboration are critical to the conservation cause. For lions that have been injured or those that find themselves in unsuitable environments, organizations exist that focus on their rescue, rehabilitation, and where possible, re-release into the wild. These efforts often bridge the gap between immediate rescue needs and long-term conservation goals. In the symphony of conservation, each effort, each voice raised, and each hand extended in aid is a testament to humanity's capacity for rectification. It's a collective ode to the lion, a promise that their legacy, intertwined with our own, will be preserved, cherished, and celebrated. In ancient epochs, when the world was wilder, the lion's domain stretched far and wide. Its majesty acknowledged uh, in land far beyond the African plains. 
this journey of the lion from its extensive past territories to its current domains is a tale of nature's grandeur and the relentless march of time and change. Centuries ago, the lion's dominion was vast, a testament to its adaptability and prowess. From the sun-soaked savannas of Africa, it journeyed to the dense forests of India, the fringes of the European continent, and even the Middle East's arid expanses. Ancient civilizations from Persia to Greece and from Egypt to India revered the lion, evidence of which can be seen in their art, folklore, and legends. Today, the heart of lion territory remains in Africa. The savannas, grasslands, and semi-arid regions where the here are the last strongholds of these magnificent creatures. Countries like Tanzania, Kenya, Botswana, and South Africa are home to significant populations, with iconic reserves like the Serengeti and the Kruger National Park acting as their sanctuaries. A relic population persists in the forests of the Gur National Park in India, known as the Asiatic Lion. This population, distinct yet closely related to the African cousins, is a living testament to the lion's once vast range. Their survival in this pocket of the Indian subcontinent is a beacon of conservation success, through, though challenges do definitely exist. In many regions, the lion's roar has tragically gone silent. Once roaming regions like North Africa, the Middle East, and even parts of Europe, these majestic cats have been extirpated due to hunting, habitat loss, and human conflict. One such subspecies um, that highlights this quite well is the Barbary lion. There are no known lineages of Barbary lions still in captivity, or at least no pure lineages of Barbary lions. There were, the last one was seen around the 1930s when it was um, photographed by a plane, I believe, or it was photographed from above. But while there are lineages of Barbary lions in captivity, none of them are believed to be purebred anymore. Now, their absence speaks volumes about the changing tapestry of our planet's biodiversity. As part of conservation initiatives, there are ambitions to reintroduce lions into areas where they once roamed. These efforts, though in nascent stages, spark hope for the future where the lion's range might, be, might expand, even if just slightly restoring a piece of our world's lost natural heritage. As we trace the lion's journey across continents, it's a reflection not just of the lion's resilience, but also of our world's changing dynamics. The tale of the lion's global distribution serves as a poignant reminder of the treasures we've lost and the gems we still possess and the dreams we harbor for tomorrow. In the vast orchestra of nature, where each plays its part, the lion's roar stands out, resonant call echoing through time and space. This journey through the lion's life, from its tender early moments to its challenges and adaptabilities, um, and its intertwining with human history paints a portrait both vibrant and somber. The lion, in all its grandeur, is not just an animal, but a symbol. It signifies the wild, untamed essence of our planet, and its stories is a mirror reflecting our relationship with nature. As we've navigated the tapestry of its existence, from its vast historical ranges to the shrinking realms it occupies today, from its astounding adaptabilities 
or adaptations to its precarious vulnerabilities, we are reminded of the delicate balance of life. Yet amid the tales of decline and threat, there are glimmers of hope. Humanity's capacity for redemption shines through in a myriad of conservation efforts, the whispers of communities rallying for the lion's cause, and the ambitions to reintroduce this magnificent beast to lands it once roamed. Every child educated, every poacher thwarted, and every hectare of habitat preserved is a step towards a brighter future, not just for lions, but for the very ethos of conservation. In the end, the fate of the lion rests not just in its claws and in its roar, but also in our hands. As stewards of this earth, we bear the responsibility and the privilege to ensure the lion's story, intertwined with our own, continues to be told. It's a narrative of respect, coexistence, and hope. For in preserving the lion, we don't just save an animal, we safeguard a chapter of our planet's rich and wondrous story. I think I'm going to end the animal spotlight section there, but stay tuned because we will be going into the technical section in just a few moments. Welcome to the technical section of the episode. This is where we look into some kind of concept, idea or theory within zoology. And today is going to be no different. Today we're going to be looking at trophic cascades. In the vast mosaic of nature, every creature plays a role. From the mighty apex predator stalking its prey, to the humble plant drawing sustenance from the sun. Beneath the seemingly calm tapestry of life, lies a dynamic interplay of relationships and dependencies that can dramatically shift the balance of an entire ecosystem. Enter the phenomenon of trophic cascades. At its essence, a trophic cascade is an ecological domino effect, where a change in the population of one species reverberates through multiple levels of the food web, altering the abundance, distribution, or behavior of other species. Imagine the removal of or reintroduction of a key predator, like the wolf in Yellowstone National Park. Its absence led to the deer population exploding, unchecked, mowing down vast stretches of vegetation and drastically altering the landscape. I believe we spoke about this in another episode on keystone species. But with the wolf's return, the balance began to restore, such as the profound and pervasive power of trophic cascades. They remind us of the delicate interconnectedness of life and the unforeseen consequences that might arise from even seemingly minor disruptions in our planet's ecosystem. In delving into this topic, we will embark on a journey through the layers of the food web, uncovering the mechanisms and consequences of these cascading effects and how they shape the world around us. Now, venture into any wild setting and you'll find a silent symphony of life playing out before your eyes. From the depths of the ocean to the heart of the dense forest, creatures of every size and shape come together in a complex dance, defining their roles in an intricate hierarchy known as trophic levels. These levels, or rungs, of the ecological ladder are the way we categorize the consumption relationships in the vast web of life. At the base of this ladder are the primary producers the plants, the algae, certain bacteria that harness the raw energy of the sun through photosynthesis. They convert sunlight into sugars, setting the stage for a drama of life to unfold. As 
the uh, curtain rises, herbivores enter, making up the next trophic level as they graze and consume these primary producers. Their lives are in constant jeopardy from the predators lurking above them in the trophic hierarchy, creatures that derive their sustenance by preying on herbivores or even other predators. But nature isn't just a linear progression of eat and be eaten. It's a web, an intricate mesh of interactions. Picture a spider web shimmering in the morning dew. Just as a single touch can send vibrations rippling across the entire web, changes in one trophic level can reverberate through the entire ecosystem. This delicate balance is maintained through a series of feedback loops and interactions, ensuring that no single species can dominate for too long without checks and balances. Yet, despite its complexity, this system is not invincible. Human activities, natural events, or the sudden explosion or decline of particular species can all send shockwaves through these trophic levels. As we've seen in the story of the wolf and the deer, the reverberations of such changes can be both profound and far-reaching. As we venture deeper into the realm of trophic cascades, understanding this foundational concept of trophic levels is pivotal. For within these layers, that this chain reaction of cascades begin. Reshaping ecosystems in ways both subtle and dramatic. In the theater of nature, where every actor plays its part to perfection, there are moments with when a lead role, a powerful character, exerts such influence that the entire play shifts course. This dominant presence, more often than not, comes from the upper echelons of the trophic hierarchy. In ecological terms, this influence is known as top-down control, a process where apex predators at the top of the food chain have a cascading effect on the levels below. Picture a great white shark, the undeniable monarch of the oceans. With a flick of its tail or a snap of its jaws, it sets an entire marine world into motion. Schools of fish dart and scatter, and even the stealthy octopus may think twice before venturing out of its rocky enclave. But it's not just about the immediate fear the shark inspires. Its presence regulates populations of smaller predators and herbivores, ensuring no single species grows too bold or numerous. Take, for example, the classic case of the wolves in Yellowstone. Once hunted to near extinction, their absence led to an unchecked growth of elk populations. The elk, free from their natural predators, feasted on willow, aspen, and other plants, reshaping the very fabric of the, of the park. Riverbanks eroded, certain bird species lost their nesting ground, and beavers, which relied on the same trees, declined. However, when wolves were reintroduced in the mid-90s, not... Uh, they not only culled the swelling elk populations, but they altered their behavior. Elk became more vigilant, less likely to overgraze in one area. Slowly, the park began to rejuvenate. Rivers stabilized and biodiversity bloomed, all from the return of a single apex predator. Yet not all stories are as overt as Yellowstone. In some ecosystems, the removal or reintroduction of a top predator might lead to subtler shifts, uh, or more subtle shifts, changes that might not be visible immediately, but can, over time, profoundly alter the balance of life. What's clear is that these top-down predators, often maligned and misunderstood, play an indispensable role in maintaining the equilibrium of their domains. 
As we navigate the intricate corridors or of top-down control, it's essential to remember that every ripple, every tremor in the trophic web can have consequences that echo far and wide. Now, while the mighty apex predators may often steal the spotlight in their dramatic displays of dominance, the story's true pulse is set by those at the very foundation. Here, in the understated realm of the producers and primary consumers, we find the essence of bottom-up control, so the opposite of top-down control. It's a tale of ferocious jewels and swift pursuits, or it's not a tale of ferocious jewels and swift pursuits, but a tale of sunlight, soil, and the silent, steadfast growth of green. Imagine a vast meadow bathed in sunlight, a seemingly endless stretch of green punctuated by bursts of wildflowers. Now let the rains diminish for a season. The lush grass begins to wane, the flowers bloom less frequently. This isn't merely a transformation of the landscape, it's the beginning of a cascading effect that travels up the food chain. Herbivores find less to graze upon, and in turn, those that prey upon those herbivores find their meals scarcer. It's a vivid reminder that the vitality of higher trophic levels is intricately tied to the abundance at the base. Nutrient availability, water, and sunlight. These elemental forces drive the productivity of primary producers. Any fluctuation here, be it due to natural cycles or human influence, send ripples through the entire ecological web. Take coral reefs for instance. These underwater marvels are often dubbed the rainforests of the sea. But when water temperatures rise, coral expel their symbiotic algae, leading to coral bleaching. This isn't just a cosmetic change. The loss of vibrant corals impacts a myriad of species relying on the reef for food and shelter, initiating a cascade that can decimate fish populations and alter the balance of marine life. Another arena where bottom-up control is at play is in agriculture. Modern farming practices often revolve around manipulating the base of the food chain, ensuring crops are abundant and robust. But when we strip soils of nutrients year after year, or when we fail to manage pests, the repercussions are felt not just in diminished yields, but across entire ecosystems that rely on these cultivated lands. While top-down control is a story of power and influence, bottom-up control is a testament to the foundational significance of the smaller players. As we peel back the layers of this narrative, it's a gentle reminder that in the grand tapestry of life, everything is interconnected, and the quiet strength at the base is pivotal to the might at the top. In the intricate ballet of nature, the dance between predator and prey stands as one of the most captivating acts. It's a dynamic that has shaped the evolution, behavior, and distribution of species for millennia. Predation, with its immediate and undeniable consequences, is often the first interaction that springs to mind when we consider trophic cascades. Yet, equally compelling is the more subtle, often overlooked narrative of behavioral effects, where even the mere hint of a predator's presence can shift the rhythms of the ecosystem. Predation is the straightforward tale of a hunter and hunted. The lion chases the gazelle across the African savanna. The hawk dives with breathtaking speed to snatch an unsuspecting mouse. Or uh, the falcon dives at breathtaking speed to snatch an unsuspecting bird out of the air. These moments, intense and raw, do more than just decide the immediate fate of the participants. 
each act of predation has a ripple effect. As predation feasts, uh, as predators feast on certain prey, they can indirectly allow other species to flourish. Consider sea otters in kelp forest ecosystems. By preying on sea urchins, otters prevent these herbivores from overgrazing on the kelp. In the absence of otters, unchecked urchin populations can lead to barren underwater landscape called urchin barrens, devoid of the towering kelp that serves as a habitat for countless marine species. Yet nature has more up her sleeve than just these direct interactions. Enter the realm of behavioral effects. Here, it's not just the act, but merely the possibility of predation that takes center stage. Picture a herd of deer that once roamed freely, now constantly on edge due to the reintroduction of wolves in their habitat. Even if not a single deer falls prey to the grazing habitats, or the grazing habits might change. They might avoid certain areas, known to be frequented by wolves, leading to a resurgence of vegetation in those spots. Similarly, small fish in a pond might limit their foraging activities if they sense the presence of a larger predatory fish, indirectly influencing the distribution of algae and other aquatic plants. Such behavioral shifts can sometimes have even more profound effects on an ecosystem than direct predation. Areas that predators frequent can become ecological hotspots, zones of heightened activity, or conversely, zones of eerie quiet where prey species tread with utmost caution. In our journey through trophic cascades, understanding both predation and its resulting behavioral effects is crucial, for it's the nuanced interactions, both seen and unseen, that we witness the delicate balance of fear survival and coexistence, shaping the ebb and flow of life on our planet. Beneath the sprawling canopy of nature, where every whisper of the leaves tell tales of survival and coexistence, battles are waged not just between predator and prey, but amongst rivals vying for the same resources and within hosts struggling against the unwelcome guests. These tales of competition, disease and parasitism weave a rich subplot in the grand narrative of trophic cascades, each playing a distinct role in shaping the dynamics of the ecosystems. Competition is an age-old dance of rivalry. In the dense rainforest, towering trees stretch their limbs, racing towards the sun, casting shadows where smaller plants vie for mere dapples of sunlight. Among animals, the antler-clashing battles of deer or the territorial call of birds are testament to this fierce competition for food, mates, or nesting sites. When one species gains an advantage, it, be it through evolutionary quirks or human-induced changes, it can overshadow others, leading to shifts in population dynamics and species distribution. For instance, the introduction of an invasive species can outcompete and displace um, native species, setting off a cascade that impacts the entire food web. Just have a look at the introduction of rabbits in in uh, uh, Australia, and then foxes were brought in to help calm the rabbit population, and they are now they find it easier to go after native populations or native animals rather than the rabbit population. But the tapestry of life is complex, and it's not just competition that alters this threat. Disease emerges as a silent, often invisible force, capable of bringing even the mightiest to their knees. 
outbreaks can decimate populations, as seen in the rapid decline of amphibians worldwide due to, the, um, due to a particular fungus. Disease doesn't just affect the afflicted one, uh, species, it can shift predatory prey dynamics, alter competitive relationships, and even change the physical landscape, as dying species give way to opportunistic newcomers. Another disease that is decimating populations that we spoke about, I think, two or three episodes ago was the bat's white nose uh, syndrome. This disease, although able to be fought against um, or uh, kept at bay during summer by the bat, is deadly over winter when the bats go into hibernation. Because of this, the prey of the bat is changing and um, this is having an effect on the competitors, on the bat's competitors. But then there's also parasitism, nature's crafty strategist. From tapeworms taking residence in mammalian intestines to parasitic wasps laying their eggs inside the unsuspecting hosts, parasitism is a tale of exploitation. It's not just about the host and the parasite. The presence of parasites can affect the host's behavior, making them more vulnerable to predation or changing their role in the ecosystem. A good example of this is the zombie ant fungus, which manipulates an ant's ho its host. Uh, it manipulates the ant host to climb veg vegetation and latch on uh, before the fungus bursts from its head in a chilling testament to a far-reaching influence of parasitism. As we navigate the intricate alleys of competition, disease, and parasitism, we're reminded that trophic cascades aren't just about who eats whom. They're a reflection of a delicate equilibrium punctuated by battles for dominance, silent onslaughts of disease, and crafty machinations of parasites. Each plays a part in the ever-evolving story of life on Earth, reminding us of the fragile, interconnected beauty of our natural world. In the vast mosaics of life that paints our planet in a very conceivable hue, there lies the mesmerizing concept of biodiversity. It's as if nature in her infinite wisdom and creativity has sketched a masterpiece composed of millions of species, each uniquely adapted, each telling its own tale. Yet as disparate as these stories might seem, they're interwoven in the fabric of trophic cascades, underscoring that the fate of one species can reverberate through countless others. Biodiversity isn't just a testament to nature's variety, it's the very backbone of resilient ecosystems. Think of it as an intricate web. The more threads that connect, the stronger and more resilient the web becomes. In lush rainforests where countless insects buzz, birds sing and mammals tread softly on the forest floor, the loss or surge of a single species can have a cascading effect, influencing the abundance, behavior, and interactions of numerous others. For instance, let's transport ourselves to the Amazon. Here, a myriad of fruit-bearing trees rely on a plethora of animals for seed dispersal. When one of these key dispersers, such as a specific bird or monkey species, diminishes in number, it's not just the direct predators that feel the impact. The trees that relied on them for spreading their seeds might see fewer saplings the next generation, leading to a more homogenous forest, and in turn affecting all species that relied on that diversity. Beyond the tangible biodiversity also acts as a buffer against unforeseen calamities. 
With a wider variety of species, ecosystems are better equipped to withstand diseases or external stresses. For instance, a coral reef with a diverse array of coral and fish is more likely to recover from bleaching events than a less diverse one. This resilience, granted by biodiversity, is nature's insurance policy. They act as a buffer. Yet, as enchanting as the tapestry of biodiversity is, it's also alarmingly fragile. Human activities, be it deforestation, pollution, are unraveling this web in, at an unprecedented rate. And as species vanish, the cascading effects ripple through ecosystems, often in ways we're only beginning to understand. Amidst the tableau of life's narratives, there are stories of myriad species intermingle and overlap. Lies the stage itself, the habitat, a setting so vital it shapes the drama, comedy, and tragedies that unfold upon it. Yet, in recent chapters of Earth's history, this stage has been shifting, transforming under both natural forces and the ever-expanding influence of one species, humans. As these habitats alter, the cascading effects echo loudly, even with profound implications for the tapestry of life. Habitat alteration isn't a mere background change. It's a fundamental shift that ripples through every level of the trophic pyramid. Whether it's a, the melting of polar ice caps, the conversion of dense forest into agricultural land, or the pollution of pristine waters, these alterations dismantle, uh, establish routines, and force species to adapt, migrate, or face the bleak possibility of extinction. Journey with me to the sprawling savannas of Africa, where elephants, often called ecosystem engineers, dramatically shape their surroundings. By toppling trees and uprooting shrubs, they transform forests into grassland, allowing grazers to flourish. However, when human settlements expand and conflict with these giants, restricting their movements or leading to their decline, the habitat changes in unexpected ways. The once open grasslands can slowly revert to woodland, affecting every creature from the tiniest insect to the swiftest cheetah. On another frontier, the oceans bear the brunt of alterations, both subtle and glaring. Coral reefs, the bustling metropolises of marine life, are facing threats from warming waters and acidification. As coral reefs bleach and die, the multitude of species that depend on them must find new homes or ways of life. The cascades here are profound, leading to reduced fish stocks, altered predator-prey dynamics, and shifts in the very structure of marine communities. Yet, habitats don't merely change due to outright destruction. Sometimes it's fragmentation, where vast continuous landscapes de get dissected into isolated pockets. Here, animals that once roamed extensive territories find themselves confined, leading to inbreeding, competition for dwindling resources, and vulnerability to diseases. Amidst these changes, there is also a story of resilience and adaptation. Mangroves encroaching on areas once dominated by seagrass due to changing salinity, or forests gradually climbing uphill in response to warming temperatures. Life, in its tenacity, always finds ways to navigate these altered terrains. In the symphony of nature, where each creature plays its part, from the diminutive ant to the mighty elephant, there is a silent rhythm that goes unnoticed, yet sustains the very essence of our existence. These are the ecosystem services, the unsung heroes in nature's grand performance. Their value immeasurable, their significance unparalleled. 
Set against the dramatic inter interactions of trophic cascades, these services stand testament to how profoundly the fates of ecosystems and humanity are intertwined. Ecosystem services can be likened to the vital organs in the body of our planet. They fulfill essential uh, functions, often silently and efficiently. Broadly categorized into provisioning, regulating, supporting, and cultural services, they encompass everything from the food we eat and the water we drink to the climate regulation and sheer joy of a walk in a serene forest. In the intricate dance of trophic cascades, these services are immensely impactful. Consider the wetlands, nature's kidney, filtering impurities from water and acting as flood barriers. The presence of the presence of or absence of certain species dictated by the ebb and flow of trophic interactions can influence the efficiency of these wetlands. Beavers, for instance, by constructing dams and creating ponds, play a pivotal role in water purification, sediment capture, and groundwater recharge. Then there's pollination, a vital service um, ensuring the reproduction of many plants. The delicate interaction between pollinators like bees, butterflies, and even bats, and the flowers they visit can be swayed by changes in predator populations or habitat modifications. The cascade here can impact agricultural yields, affecting food supplies and economies. On the regulating front, forests, often termed the lungs of our planet, sequester vast amounts of carbon dioxide, and they play a critical role in climate regulation. Yet the composition of these forests, which is influenced by trophic interactions, can change their carbon capturing potential. Apex predators, by controlling herbivore populations, indirectly influence the abundance and diversity of plants, affecting the overall carbon dynamics. Ecosystem services also touch our personal souls, the cultural services. It can be, be it the inspiration drawn from a pristine landscape or the spiritual significance of a sacred grove or the recreational joy of a national park. They're deeply entwined with the health and diversity of ecosystems. Trophic cascades by altering species interactions and habitat can profoundly affect these intimate human nature connections. And as we ex traverse the vast expanses of our blue planet, over 70% of which is cloaked in the embrace of oceans, we witness a story as ancient as life itself. A tale of abundance and predation, balance and imbalance, set against the shimmering backdrop of the marine realm. Yet, in recent chapters of this epic, a new predator has risen, unmatched in its appetite and efficiency. Again, this is humanity. Overfishing, the relentless pursuit of marine resources, has become a defining act, with repercussions that ripple through the depths, set off trophic cascades with far-reaching consequences. Overfishing isn't merely an act of taking, it's a profound alteration of the marine tapestry. By targeting specific species, often those at the top of the food chain, we inadvertently shuffle the hierarchical deck of the marine world. Sharks, tuna, cod, Apex predators that once roamed the seas with dominance are now in decline. Their diminishing numbers have cascading effects, allowing the prey species to proliferate unchecked, which in turn impacts the prey of these species, and so on. Imagine the vast kelp forests of the coastline, swaying gardens of the deep, otters, 
agile and playful, once patrolled these forests, keeping the population of sea urchins, their favorite food, in check. However, with otters hunted or their habitats disrupted, sea urchin numbers exploded. These voracious grazers left unchecked mowed down kelp forests, transforming lush underwater jungles into barren urchin barrens. The cascade here impacts a myriad of species, from fish to invertebrates that relied on the kelp for sustenance as well as shelter. On coral reefs as well, the story is equally poignant. Overfishing of herbivorous fish can lead to an overgrowth of algae, which outcompetes and smothers corals. This is a different algae to the symbiotic algae that corals need to survive, but this jeopardizes the survival of these vibrant marine metropolises and the multitude of species that they harbor. Yet it's not just the overt removal of fish that's of concern. Bycatch, the unintentional capture of non-targeted species, tell also a somber tale. Sea turtles, dolphins, even seabirds often find themselves ensnared. Their stories cut short, leading to unforeseen imbalances in their respective ecosystems. Another one that is often caught in bycatch are whale sharks, which take vast numbers of krill. Moreover, overfishing isn't merely a story of ecological loss. It's a narrative deeply entwined with human societies. Coastal communities that have relied on the bounty of the sea for millennia find their livelihoods threatened, the very fabric of their culture, traditions, and daily life, which reverberated with songs of the sea, now echoes with uncertainty. Amidst the verdant tapestries that cloak our earth, ancient titans arise, their limbs outstretched to the heavens and roots buried deep in the annals of time. These forests, nature's timeless cathedrals, pulsate with stories of life, evolution, and even coexistence. But a shadow is spreading across these green sanctuaries, a man-made specter named deforestation. As trees fall and clearings expand, the balance of life trembles, setting in motion cascading effects that resonate through every layer of the forest and beyond. Deforestation is just not an act of removal, it's an unraveling of narratives. By stripping the land of its trees, we disrupt the age-old relationships crafted by nature. The whispering leaves, the interplay of shade and light, and the multitude of creatures that called the forest home, all find their stories abruptly altered. Take for example the rainforest of the Amazon. Here, jaguars, the elusive apex predator, roam with stealth and purpose, regulating populations of herbivores like peccaries and deer. But as the forests give way to open land, these majestic cats lose their camouflage and territory. The cascading effect? Overpopulation of certain herbivores leading to overgrazing and further destruction or degradation of the understory, disrupting the intricate web of forest life. Insect populations too undergo dramatic shifts. With the loss of specific tree species, specialized pollinators may face decline, which in turn affects the reproduction of numerous plants, affecting everything from fruit availability to animals to the very um, structure of the forest itself. But the ripples of deforestation reach even further. Consider the forest floor, the realm of decay and regeneration. Fallen trees and leaves over time decay and enrich the soil. However, with large-scale logging, the soil now exposed becomes susceptible to erosion, robbing future generations of trees of their nurturing ground. Water cycles, too, bear the brunt of this upheaval. Forest acts as sponges, absorb absorbing rainfall and releasing it slowly, ensuring rivers flow consistently. 
Their abundance can lead to flash floods in rainy seasons and reduced river levels in dry periods, affecting aquatic life, human settlements, and even agriculture. And amidst these physical changes, the intangible loss, or the intangible is lost as well. Indigenous communities, the true guardians of these forests, find their homes, traditions, and wisdom threatened. The symphony of bird songs, the myths of hidden groves, and the knowledge of medicinal plants all risk being silenced forever. In the sprawling narrative of our, plants, our planet's ecosystems, where every thread of life is intricately woven into a majestic tapestry, there emerges a concept that holds the promise of balance, restoration, and sustainable eco um, coexistence. Ecosystem management, or EBM, is not merely an approach. It's an ode to the delicate symphony of nature. In the wake of cascading changes wrought by human actions, EBM presents a harmonious blend of science, wisdom, and foresight, seeking to retune our relationships with the environment. Ecosystem-based management is akin to the masterful conductor of an orchestra. It understands that every element from the crescendo of apex predators to the subtler notes of microbial life plays an essential role in the grand performance of an ecosystem. Rather than focusing on a single species or issue, EBM looks at the ensemble, embracing the complex web of interactions that define trophic cascades. Picture the sprawling savannas of Africa, where the balance of predators and herbivores shape the land. Overhunting of a species, say the lion, might lead to an explosion of herbivore populations. These herbivores, unchecked, could overgraze, leading to soil erosion and habitat degradation. EBM, in this scenario, would advocate for measures that not only address lion conservation, but also factor in the broader ecological consequences, ensuring the symphony of, uh, continues without missing a beat. At the heart of EBM is the recognition of connectivity. Oceans, for instance, are not just vast expanses of saltwater. They are dynamic realms where currents, temperature gradients, and nutrient cycles influence marine life. Overfishing is one in one region might have implications far beyond, altering predator-prey dynamics for, or even affecting seabird populations thousands of miles away. EBM, with its holistic perspective, would advocate for fishing practices that respect these intricate marine connections, ensuring sustainability for both the ocean and its dependents. Moreover, EBM's embrace extends to the realms of cultural and tradition. It understands that human communities, especially indigenous ones, have thrived in harmony with nature for millennia. In nature's grand tapestry, apex predators reign with a majestic aura. Their mere presence and embodiment of evolution's finest orchestrates the rhythm of life around them. Yet, in recent epochs, our planet's narrative, many of these sovereign beings have faded, relegated to the whispers of the wind and shadows of forgotten forests. But the story doesn't end there. The concept of reintroducing apex predators offers a hopeful refrain a chance to restore a semblance of the ancient symphony and to understand the profound cascades they can initiate. Reintroduction of apex predators is not merely about bringing back the species, it's about rekindling the old fires of ecosystems, reawakening dormant connections and recalibrating the delicate equilibrium of life. The most emblematic tale in this regard um, is the saga of the wolves of Yellowstone. Once they roam freely, they house howls echoing through the valleys. By the 1920s, these predators had been exterminated from the region. Their presence led to an explosion in the elk population, 
and these grazing animals unchecked decimated the park's vegetation, disrupting habitats for countless other species and altering river behaviours. Yet, with the reintroduction of wolves in the 1990s, a remarkable transformation unfolded. The elk, now under the watchful gaze of their old predators, changed their grazing patterns, allowing vegetation to recover, rivers stabilized, and species and species from birds to beavers flourished, illustrating the profound cascading effect that the return of an apex predator could set in motion. However, such endeavors aren't without challenges. The cheetahs of India, once symbols of royal hunts and vibrant grasslands, vanished in the last century. Recent ambitions to reintroduce them involve not just the logistics of translocation, but understanding and replicating the intricate web that they once were a part of. This requires exhaustive studies, habitat restoration, and ensuring a balance with human settlements. Beyond the physical, there lies the realm of perception. Apex predators, often misunderstood and demonized in folklore and media, face resistance from local communities fearing for their livestock or even personal safety. Successful reintroductions demand a blend of science, education, and community management, and even community engagement, where the predator is seen not as a threat, but as a vital note in the ecological opus. Beneath the expansive canopy of our planet's narrative lies a poignant tale of loss and rejuvenation. Landscapes once teeming with life, vibrant and resonant with nature's song, have sometimes been silenced. Yet it is a... Yet, like a phoenix rising, the, there emerges a hopeful ode of habitat restoration, a conscious effort to breathe life back into these landscapes, to resurrect the harmonious symphony that once played, and to understand the cascading rhythm that restores or restoration can initiate. Habitat restoration is far more than a mere act of replanting and rebuilding. It's a delicate act of or art of reweaving the intricate tapestries of ecosystems, of mending the threads of relationships that once defined a habitat. One of the most iconic endeavors is the restoration of wetlands. These liminal spaces where land meets water are crucibles of biodiversity. Draining them for agricultural or urban development disrupts this balance. But when restoration initiatives come into play, such as rebuilding tidal flows or replanting native vegetation, a cascade of revival begins. Birds return, fish spawn, and invertebrates thrive, rejuvenating not just the landscape, but the intricate food web it sustains. Yet restoration isn't solely about reviving lost habitat. Consider the grasslands, often perceived as wastelands and converted to other uses. Restoring them isn't just about letting grass grow. It involves understanding the intricate dance of grazers and predators, of fire and rain, a restored grassland is a realm where every blade of grass plays a part in the greater narrative, influencing everything from soil health to migratory patterns. Forests, too, demand a nuanced approach. Replanting trees is commendable, but true forest restoration dives deeper. It recognizes the importance of understory, of fungi and insects, of the subtler balance between predator and prey. It understands that a tree isn't a physical entity, but a node in a vast interconnected network. Challenges, of course, abound. Introduced species change water tables and alter soil compositions, can sometimes resist attempts at res uh, restoration. 
Furthermore, local communities with their livelihoods and beliefs must be integral to these efforts, blending traditional wisdom with modern ecological insights. As the sun paints golden hues on our planet's canvas, there lies an intricate dance of life, a ballet of interactions where every flutter, leap and prowl is a note in nature's grand composition. Yet amid these beauties, there is a newer, more cacophonous rhythm, the echoes of human footsteps. Our impact, vast and varied, resounds throughout ecosystems, creating cascades of change, a symphony that's sometimes harmonious, but often discordant. Human impact isn't a monolithic force, it's a myriad of actions, decisions and consequences, each weaving into the next, creating ripples that travel through the tapestry of life. Take agriculture, for example. The transformation of dense forests and sprawling grasslands into fields of monoculture is more than mere change in landscape. It interrupts the age-old dialogues between species. Pesticides aiming to protect crops often have unintended victims, from pollinating bees to the birds that feast upon the affected insects. This disruption cascades, leading to diminished pollination, reduced bird populations, and an altered balance in ecosystems. Then there's the urbanization. As concrete jungles rise, they fragment habitats, creating islands of green amidst the sea of gray. Such fragmentation can disrupt migratory patterns, breeding habits, and even predator-prey dynamics. A city park, for instance, might team with deer due to lack of natural predators, leading them to overgraze and in turn affect the flora and the myriad of organisms dependent on it. But it's not all a tale of gloom. Human impact can also be restorative. Conservation efforts, sustainable practices, and community-driven initiatives offer glimmers of hope. For every story of deforestation, there's a counter-narrative of rewilding. For every tale of overfishing, there's an ode to sustainable aquaculture. So it's not always a story of gloom. But I'm going to end the, um, the section here at for Trophic Cascades. Stick around and uh, listen to the... And notes. Well, I think we'll end this episode there. If you want any more wildlife content, be sure to check out our website at um, biomedia.org or thebiompodcast.com and consider becoming a member. The majority of all profits go towards Saving the Survivors Rhino Rescue. Feel free to check them out at savingthesurvivors.org. There will be a lot more content and a community of like-minded zoology enthusiasts on there as well as giveaways, photo contests, and expert QAs, which we're still working on. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter as well and get a free copy of our Birdwatcher's Log, a printable form to log all your bird sightings and easy to put in a binder. I personally use it myself and it's great. There is even a place to attach a picture or draw one Depending on your preference, newsletters go out about once a month and contain highlights and surprises. A lot of new things on the site, so be sure to stick around and follow us on social media at biome.media. I think we have a little over 11,000 followers on Instagram, so very chuffed about that. If you um, know anyone that might be interested, please do not hesitate to share the content. And don't forget, we love hearing from you, so please keep in touch. For now, though, we will be back in two weeks for episode 
was a 16, I guess. If you want to hear the podcast before it's released to the public, sign up for that membership and you can comment and listen in while it's being recorded. Until next time, though, remember to always ask questions. It's the foundation of science, after all. <laughs>